Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zinati Guma. Joining me to take your questions this evening are Graham Kerner from a Kerner Perspective and Trikas Komring from a Capicraft. If you'd like to send those questions to us, please SMS 41392 or email us at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Thanks so much for your time, gentlemen. A quite volatile trading today because I did the markets update at half past five and the European markets were in the red, uh, the US markets were in the red and the JSC was in the red except for the industrial 25. But now as I did the markets update at six, I started to see some of these uh, bosses coming back to the green. Uh, just starting with you, Graham, what have you made of today's trading session? Yeah, good evening. I think it's been a, it, it was a very choppy session. I think, um, you know, the likes of, of Richmond and Naspers obviously helped, but um, some of the other heavyweights like um, Anglos were going in the opposite direction. I think um, world markets um, have had a wonderful run. If you look on a one month view, I think most of the major indices are up around 8%. Um, and if you look at our market, it's a little more than that. It's probably a little over over 10%. So I think my my guess is that the the big story a month ago was, you know, inflation is coming down quickly. You know, central banks can can take their foot off the gas in terms of rate hikes. Uh, China's opening up again, and people started getting getting a little bit more confident. Um, I think there's a sense in the last day or so that maybe we're a little ahead of ourselves. Um, and then also, if you look uh, at the U.S., uh, quite a few of the tech companies, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, uh, Spotify, um, even 3M this afternoon announcing uh, that, that, you know, they're going to be cutting jobs. So I think the market's grappling for, um, for, for direction. And the reality of it is, although inflation is going to moderate, it's probably going to stay higher for longer than people would like to see. And I think it's that dynamic. And you know, the reality of it is our market generally has had a good a good time of it of late. Yeah. Um, but more recently, we've got to say it's things like, you know, Naspers and Richmond um, and Anglos that have really driven our market. And the broader market is better, but it's it's those global stocks that have driven the performance. And I think that's where the volatility and the nervousness came from today. Yeah. And uh, just on your side, I mean, is this what we can actually expect for a large part of the year where we have... Nasperes and Richmonts really coming to claim their position as uh, the big drivers of positive sentiment on the JSE. So um, I won't extrapolate this necessarily for the next, for you know, for the rest of the year. Mm. Firstly, um, a lot of money has flown back into emerging market funds, yeah. um, uh, which I welcome. I think emerging markets are undervalued, you know, relative to most DM markets. Uh, well, especially relative to the US. And uh, secondly, uh, you know, with China's reopening, obviously, uh, that is that is you know been the main catalyst for those flows. That together with obviously the presumed pause from the Fed later on this year, um, uh, and and you know, Nasdaq, Tencent, those are all big counters or big index weightings within some various emerging market indices, um, and you know, some of the best beneficiaries have been those. That are listed in Hong Kong, and and there's a pretty wide margin between what Hong Kong stocks have done 
you know, and what mainland China A-shares have done. Um, they, they lag those of the Hong stock market. Why? Because it's easier for money to enter Hong Kong than it is to enter mainland China. So I think those still offer some value if you can access some of those through some various funds. Um, and, and also similarly, you, you know, on our market, if you subtract some of those multinationals, if you take them out of the index and you take out the resource stocks, which also, you know, they've got a, a volatile earnings component, then your typical JSE uh, share is at about an 8 to 8.5 price earnings ratio, which is very undemanding. Hmm. All right. Well, let's get to your questions. Uh, the questions by our viewers. Uh, what's the panel's thoughts on Telcom? Is it still attractive with value to be gained after the MTN and Rain debacle at the current share price? So, of course, uh, now after the uh, crumbling discussions, uh, early stage discussions between Telcom and Rain, uh, it was largely anticipated, or I guess it, it still is largely anticipated, that MTN might actually go back to the dinner table with Telcom. Um, Graham, is, is, is that what should be the case to get into telecom? The fact that MTN might go back or do you just look at telecom in isolation? Well, I think, um, I think the big thing is, is uh, you know, where you've got two operators that have got, got bandwidth next to each other, it probably makes a lot of sense for them to combine, particularly um, if they bring... Th things to the party, as I thought uh, Telcom and Rain did. Um, now, they give each other exposure that the other doesn't have. So um, I thought that that, that tie-up made a lot of sense. Um, yeah, but I think the reality of it is, uh, it, you know, it looks as though Telcom is a deal that lots of people want to do, but nobody seems able to do. Um, you know, I remember many years ago looking at Telcom and saying, jeepers, you know, there's a there's an installed client base, and of course, the last mile narrative has become a little bit tired. But there is value there. I mean, there's value in a property portfolio. There are all sorts of things that you could could argue make it appealing. But the fact that quite a few suitors have have knocked on the door and have terminated those talks, I think, makes it quite quite a difficult one. But uh, I would I would say, you know, generally we don't like the telecom sector. I think it's a race to the bottom. Um, you know, in terms of 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 data prices and voice, I, I just think there's there's major disruption coming to those those business models. But having said that, I think if you're a, a gambling person, I think in that sector, telecom is probably uh, quite an interesting play. You know, the only way you can really play rain is through African Rainbow Capital, and that's fairly diluted. So, mm. um, you know, I've been quite wrong on things like MTN for big patches of the last five years. But generally, I think the, until the business model has evolved sufficiently where financial services and media and other things really are a meaningful contributor, I'd rather just set that out. But I do think that sooner or later, somebody, and it need not be a South African play, um, I think will eventually take Telcom out. And my guess is it will be taken out at a fair premium to the current price. Yeah. So with this anticipation that someone will eventually take Telcom out, would this price be attractive enough for an investor to go in to kind of get a good entry point into the telecom space? Uh, Trigas? Well, 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 firstly, the, the, the main problem with Telcom is this, that you run into ComCom issues if it's a another competitor taking it out. So I, I concur with Graham that maybe an offshore player comes in and takes, takes them out. That leaves still a competitor to, you know, the, the other uh, license holders. So I don't, I don't really see, 
you know, a deal evolving far enough without them running to some competition commission um, issues down the line. Uh, the other alternative is to sell it piecemeal, you know, sell different assets, different divisions. That is a possibility. Why they haven't explored that, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm just too out of it. Uh, maybe they have. Um, but I think that is one alternative. You know, it's, it's generally what companies do that that offer a lot of value. And, I, and, and it does. You know, if you just look at the book value, book value is about... Uh, about double, more than double its current price. Book value is almost 70 rand share net asset value on the balance sheet. There's a lot of latent assets sitting there, un, you know, not really um, used or, or capacity is not used. Some of them might be old land funds. I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, mm. those are being taken down at the moment and uh, and uh, sold off. Um, but that's a small part of the business, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, big asset base and there's, there's value there. I just don't see any catalyst uh, over the short to medium term. Uh, all right. Uh, well, let's get to more questions. Uh, there's a question here, uh, quite an interesting one. I have 100,000 to invest. Do I give the money to Coronation to manage or do I buy their shares for capital gain and dividends? Um, so do I give the money to Coronation to manage or do I buy Coronation? 100K? Um, Greg? It, it is a very, very clever question. Um, I would, I would say, I think Coronation, uh, like a lot of money managers, is looking very, very cheap. I mean, Rikus was talking about the low multiples, and I would argue, you know, if you've seen some of the performance here and internationally, companies like that have fairly fixed cost bases. So, I think you could do quite well if you take maybe not a, a three three month view, but I think if you look a little further out, I think Coronation's a, a good business. It's well run. You saw the AUM ticking up again after the diff difficulty they had a little while ago. Um, my instinct is to say, you know, go for coronation, the share. But the reality of it is that, you know, then it is kind of a, a, a binary bet. Mm -hmm. I would say pick a, pick a fairly conservative fund, put 50% or 70% into that fund, and then take a position of, say, a third in coronation, the share. And you could even split that between coronation and 91. Hmm. Um, on your side, Drikas, Coronation the share or just give Coronation to do what it does? Looks looks like uh, a value, yeah. I, I do think they will be, you know, um, coming out with some better performance figures over the short term. They do own some some shares in their portfolios and their top holdings that have done quite well uh, recently. Um, but, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it's more risky to buy Coronation just than just to buy say, a uh, high equity balance fund. In general, uh, asset manager, big asset manager like Coronation will resemble, you know, a balanced stuff mandate. You know, if you lump together all the assets, you get that exposure, plus you get, uh, a, a, you know, the cash flow of a company. You know, it should return more than a balanced fund over the longer term, should. But the problem is the risk. The risk is the company underperforms, it sheds assets. Uh, I think the likes of Coronation, Alan Gray, et cetera, you know, we all know they are quite large. So there's a lot of space for competitors to, you know, to eat away at that asset base over time. Mm, That's right. the risk. Um, yeah, so uh, actually there's, uh, there's been quite a lot of interest in the banks lately. And uh, Bank of America was actually saying last week that they're playing the China reopening through the banks as well. So there's a question here on Nedbank. 
Uh, what is the view of the panel on NetBank and a portfolio? Their dividends are very good and the share price is quite stable above a 200 per share. Um, NetBank, Graham? I think all, all the South African banks have a, a similar theme. Um, you know, whether, whether you're talking about any one of the big four, I think you can now probably even throw Investec into that pot. Um, so I think all, all of the banks are going to probably experience strong earnings growth over the next year or two as they sort of rebuild the income statements after COVID and, of course, you know, higher rates are helping a little bit there. Um, I think, you know, we, we've had the view that um, EBSA was looking the cheapest of the lot um, in large part because I think a lot of people sort of feel they were a little bit dozy and not particularly um, you know, uh, progressive in terms of investment banking and stuff, which I think is fundamentally wrong. I think they made a lot of good progress. And then, you know, we've gone with Standard Bank mainly because we like the Africa strategy of both Standard and ABSA, whereas NetBanks is a little bit, you know, diluted with through EcoBank, which is a little bit of a mystery to me. Um, so, you know, I think truthfully, any one of the South, four South African big banks look compelling. You choose what you like specifically. But we, we do believe that the Africa strategy of EBSA and Standard Bank is superior. And you can see both of them. Those business models are really starting to, to gain traction. They're going to become increasingly important if, if our belief that, you know, the next 100 years could belong to the African continent. If that happens, then clearly you're going to get some, some dividend from that. So uh, we would rather play those two. Um, you know, standard maybe more solid, bigger, and and Africa ops and apps are just looking cheaper. But hmm. um, you can pick your poison. Any one of the big four banks will, I think, will do well from these levels on a three to five year view. On your side, um, uh, Drukas, uh, because the second part of this question is: Could one have Standard Bank and Ned Bank in a portfolio? What's your take? No, Ned Bank looks looks cheaper. You know, just from a, looking at its margins, etc. There's there's some more. Let's call it. Um, cyclical um thrust behind some of its margins etc but standard bank i i agree with Graham. um i like the africa strategy going forward um i think there's more growth there than local and uh, but i must say uh, when i do look at our banks i compare them with the banks i see offshore um not completely apples with apples of course but you know ours are trading at nine pe's eight p's for some of the cheaper ones First trend a bit more expensive, but that's similar to you know your your most of your uh, mega cap banks offshore. Uh, I think Lloyd's is trading at seven eight uh, price earnings ratio. JP Morgan a bit more expensive. You know you get the you get the picture, and then you go to other emerging markets. Then things get you know it, it gets uh, exciting. Um, just look at um, Banco de Brazil. It's sitting at a three and a half price earnings ratio. Obviously, mm. there's a lot of political risk, but so you know so, so is here so um yeah i think there's there's a lot of value out there if you look if you're um, willing to spread the risk you know diversify take small positions and accumulate a, a, a more diversified um portfolio of banking shares um yeah and yeah. in a in a rising interest rate environment i do think that banks globally um yeah, they do look good to me yeah all right. Um, let's go to tech. Uh, there's a question here. Is Alviva a hold or do I sell? Uh, of course, we have that buyout offer from the two empowerment partners at, I think, 28 Rand. 
share those uh, conversations have been going on for quite a while uh, Alviva really being seen uh, for the lo for the longest time as an undervalued stock with really good profits uh Graham Alviva hold or sell no I can't really help um, yeah. I, I looked at it in a fair amount of detail a few years ago rightly or wrongly decided to let it pass um, I think the decision was to wait and see and I think looking back now maybe that was a it was a mistake, but uh -huh. um, yeah, I, I, I don't know enough about it today to comment, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Trikas, do you have anything to add on Alviva? And also, I mean, just recently, um, when there were murmurings that the buyout offer could be 25 rand a share, uh, there had been some shareholders uh, seeming that they wanted more or north of 30 rand a share. Um, do you have a, a view no, on no, no, Alviva? It's, it's been, yeah, yeah it's, it's, been, it's been revised upwards to 28. Yes, to 28, so, yes. So it's most likely to go through at 28 bucks come 1st of March. Yeah. So does one hold or sell? Uh, well, you can sell to me at a 50 cent discount and I'll just arbitrage it away. <laughs> I'll go borrow money and put yeah. the 50 cents in my pocket. Yeah, please sell to me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, let's just take a look at some of the updates that did come out of the JSC. Uh, clicks are coming out with uh, an update, 20-week uh, update. Um, actually, quite a few retailers have been coming out with updates recently. We also had TFG yesterday and also uh, Mr. Price. That was quite disappointing. Um, Graham, was there anything that stood out for you with clicks? Uh, it just really seemed that... Um, it was everything that the market expects, really. Yeah, I think that that's that's probably right. Although when you when you look at the multiple, um, you know, then let's say seven eight percent revenue growth and a little bit more in profits is not really going to unwind the PE. So I think that's probably why the the stock was down about a, a percent. But if you look back. You know, it's sort of it's been hitting its head against overhead resistance, and it looks to me as though it wants to come off. Not because they've done anything wrong. I mean, it, it's an, been an amazing uh, strategy how they've moved into the hospitals and taken those over. Of course, now the collaboration with Pick and Pay. Uh, you know, it's just been a, a supremely well-run business. They've executed beautifully on the strategy um, in a very competitive landscape. Because I always say, you know, you've had both clicks and Diskim. Mm you know, rising in this fairly tight environment and, and in, in an industry, say in pharmacies, that is that is not easy. So I think it's a, a really well-run business, but it feels to me as though um, the market has just been irrational about what they expect in, and what they're prepared to pay in the PE multiple. And my best guess is, um, unless there's something really something massive in their world, I can just see that, that share price drifting lower as, you know, the fundamentals start taking hold and that you know even a great company can't grow their profits or their revenue at 15 percent in a in a benign environment and particularly in a competitive one so i think um generally you can see the market has become a little bit more circumspect about clicks but it's a it's more because the market got it wrong than management did anything wrong if i could put it that way yeah uh, triggers do you think a clicks is expensive uh, i mean it, it does um post a pretty consistent good numbers are seen as a quite a defensive stock do you think it's it's too expensive i think it's it's ridiculous ridiculously uh, expensive um uh, there's not a lot of growth stories out there it's quality company that's got a, a bit of a moat around the, 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 the distribution business um not a bit it's a strong moat 
And, um, but, uh, you know, with regards to the retail business, there's a lot of competition opening up all around, them. you know, um, a lot of dispensaries opening up in some of the retail chains, et cetera. So competition is coming, um, at least for that part of the business. And, uh, but I just think the market is putting too high of a premium on, on any local listed growth story. So if it's, if there's some quality growth story, the market just, runs away with it because you know it's it's scarce there's there's only so so much so many groceries on the jse yeah um quality growth story that the markets don't seem to be running away with is tfg um they had that update and in general it seemed that market sentiment was that tfg actually came out with a better update than mr price but you look at that share price it's not really speaking to uh, the general sentiment out there um Graham, what are you making of TFG versus Mr. Price at the moment? Look, I think they're quite different businesses. Obviously, um, you know, TFG, for example, with Jet is moving more towards value, although they've got a, a really beautifully balanced portfolio, you know, from sort of more top end, middle and the lower end. We think it's a very, very well run business. You just have to look at the fact that, you know, 70 percent of their revenue um, in terms of the stores revenue now has you know power solutions to protect against load shedding i think they were sort of ahead of the curve we think it's a very very well-run business obviously consumers are under pressure everywhere but i thought the update today was good and you know we must remember tfg is not just tfg africa you know london looks as though it's mm -hmm. trading well their e-commerce strategy and it's more than just an e-commerce strategy they really are thinking creatively and they're thinking about tech in a bigger way um, both London and uh, Australia, I think, are, are, are good businesses. They're well run. Um, so yeah, we we like it. We we thought the price might come off a little bit on the on the update for no other reason than it was at 100 bucks the other day. It ran a little ahead, um, but I think between the two, I'm not saying Mr. Price has lost their mojo, but I think it it just became really big. And and I think obviously Mr. Price has got different brands as well, but I think TFG. Having so many brands and having built, um, you know, strong brands and, and around them, they can they can almost pull levers that maybe the 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 the, the likes of Mr. Price, which are more focused on value. I think it's a, a more. Uh, it's, I personally believe TFG is a better business, and I think over the next three to four years they'll really set themselves apart from the pack. So I thought the the update generally, if you look at Africa, was pretty good. Um, not pretty good. It was good considering the the difficult environment. Um, yeah, so I I think you can you can definitely buy them under 110 rand. Um, do you think, uh, Drikas, uh, the fact that Mr. Price has a lot of cash sales uh, and TFG has um, you know that space for credit could also be a significant influence of the diverging performances? Yeah, obviously, Mr. Price much more cash based. Um, than than TFG, but it's 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 changing marginally. So yeah, it obviously is the, is the main reason. Um, but I you know I mostly concur with Graham. I'm not going to stand in anybody's way that's uh, that's selling their Mr. Price shares and buying some TFGs. Yeah, um, let's go on to Sasol. Uh, they came out with a uh, six-month sales update, also updating us on the announcements of the three renewable uh, power deals in their South African operations. Let's just focus on uh, the sales and production update. Uh, it seems the market was uh, pretty positive on uh, that update. Uh, Graham, was this expected? 
Well, if you look at the share price performance today, no, um, no close at 315.56. At a point, it was, uh, you know, over 322. So I think the market was pleasantly surprised. Of course, it's got lots of moving parts all around yeah. the world in different uh, products in terms of gas and chemicals and, you know, sin fuels. Um, you know, generally, it wasn't a spectacular update, but I think I would I would argue that there were some planned and unplanned stoppages, which hurt production a little bit. Um, the thing that struck me, though, is um, is they only seem to be hedged with zero-cost collars up until the end of June, which I thought was a little bit strange. It was one of the things that really irked me and sort of changed my view of them a few years ago when they got that hedging strategy so monumentally wrong. So I think the market was pleasantly surprised, but we've... You know, people have grown to expect not very much from Cecil. So I think it, you know, it, it, it was pleasantly surprised for, let's say, having managed expectations down. But um, the proof will be really in the pudding, not this financial year. This obviously, you know, courtesy of the U Ukrainian war, mm. energy prices have gone ballistic. Um, but when the dust settles, maybe two years from now, it'll be interesting to see whether that earnings needle can keep moving. And I personally don't think it will. Right, all right. Uh, well, Adrigas, uh, we can't get your view on Sasol because we have run out of time, Liz. So let's get to your stock picks. Adrigas, uh, your stock pick for today? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, much more bearish than the average commentator out there for the year, uh, <laughs> or at least for the next three years. Take a longer-term view, as we always do. So I like some uncorrelated assets. Um, one of them is uranium. Um, there's a supply deficit building in uranium. Um, the story is about two or three, four years old now. We've and Cameco, one of the bigger um, producers, well, the biggest producer in the Western Hemisphere for some quite some time now, have made good money. The problem is Cameco must be one of the only accessible um, large caps out there for big institutional investors. And the other one is Kazatomprom, which is listed in Kazakhstan, also in London, but Kazakhstan sits just below Russia and is part of the CSDO, you know, part of the security arrangement. Um, so, you know, there's always the risk that they become involved in a broader conflict. So most pile into Cameco. Cameco is a bit overvalued in our opinion, um, even given our estimates. Um, so we buy the physical uranium through Sprott. Sprott has got a physical uranium trust that trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange. It's trading at a slight discount to its net asset value. And when uranium starts running, as we do think that the prices are just below $50 at the moment, and we do think that the marginal cost of production is around 75. If it starts running, you can expect Sprott to trade at a premium as people pile into the, one of the only listed instruments to get exposure to this very niche market. All right. Well, on your side, Graham? Um, yeah, maybe something a little closer to home. Um, City Lodge has been to Helen back a few times over the last few years. Um, you know, the update uh, for December looked quite a lot better. Um, we think it's a well-run business. There's a really good asset underpin. I think both Drickus and I tend to, you know, say, well, what is the underlying value? So if you had to wind this thing up and sell it off and break it up, what would you get out? And I think in the case of City Lodge, it's worth quite a bit more. So um, we're going to let them run it as a hotel. I'm just joking. But, uh, you know, there is. it's always great to have an NAV underpin. Um, but I think they're doing all the right things. You know, if you just look at, at the restaurant business, the food and beverage business, I think quite a lot of, of energy there. So um, it's tough, make no mistake, particularly in areas like Santon. But um, I'm not buying it for short-term punt, but I think this is a good business that three or four years from now, if you look back, you'll say, 
man, we've got an opportunity to buy something really cheap. Mm. Um, and I still think that they're well placed in that sort of business tourism market. So, yeah, City Lodge. All right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time and for your analysis today. Um, I guess uh, Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective and Driggers Comrink from Capicraft. Julieta is back with Stockwatch tomorrow night. Thank <laughs> you.